Turn with me to the book of Revelation. We are going to read just four verses, but then we're going to open these four portions where these four verses are fixed in the Word of God. Revelation chapter 1, please. Our first verses in verse 4. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Turn with me then to chapter 3. Revelation 3 and verse 1 please. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Chapter 4 please and verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of burning fire before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And our last verses in chapter 5, we'll find it in verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Let's just pray. And Father, would you settle us now in this house? We thank you for so many tonight on a, such a good day when others are away. Father, we thank you for so many in the house of God tonight. We thank you, Father, that your spirit is already here. And we ask you now, Lord, that you would be exalted and glorified in the preaching of your word. And Lord, that you would help us to, Lord, have listening ears and receptive hearts, Father, to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our soul. And oh God, if there be one in the meeting that's not saved, we pray, Lord, that you would reach them by your own word, for you are the author of the eternal word. We ask it and we give you thanks in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The, the title of tonight's message is The Seven Spirits of God. The Seven Spirits of God. And, and that has been mentioned on all four verses of our reading. Seven Spirits of God. John is on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, because we are right with God, because we're always in the will of God or we're walking with God does not negate that we will not have and does not negate that we'll have problems or we won't have any trials. In fact, the word will hit us when we are walking according to the word of God. The word will detest us because we're walking according to the word of God, because we love the word of God, because we worship the God of the word, and then we'll find that the word will not only detest us, but will want to put us on trial and even imprison us, even to bind us. We find even others in churches, others of uh, a liberal theology, or those who are in other churches who are 
carnal in their ways and don't want to move across the, uh, the Word of God learning and, and delving into the things of God through the Spirit, that even they will be the, the foes of your own household, as it were, and they will be those who will also try to tame you, try to hold you back, try to hold you down, because the Spirit of God causes a man and a woman to be different. The Spirit of God causes a man and a woman to be different. In John's day, he's writing this from the island is called Patmos Domitian, the Roman prince. Her emperor has now put him on this little rocky, rugged, uh, hard labor island, water all around him, nowhere to escape. And you think in the, in the midst of his trial, well, where do you go in the midst of your trial? Do you hide under the rock? Do you go to the nearest uh, hole and hide yourself? Do we roll up into a ball and say, I give up? No, but John finds himself worshiping. John finds himself praying. John finds himself that he is in tune with God, even in the worst of situations. And there, the Spirit came. There, the revelation of Jesus Christ came in his hardest of times, in his worst of days. And you know, sometimes in our hardest of times, in our worst of days, we think, Lord, I I don't feel like worshiping, and I don't feel like I want to pray, and I don't feel like this, or I don't feel like that. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like whatever. Nevertheless, it's not your feelings that you're saved with. It's your faith. You're saved through your faith, by grace through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we find John here is caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Caught up in the Spirit. So we have to ask, since through our four verses it mentions the seven spirits of God, does that mean God has seven spirits? There are those who tell us that the book of Revelation is a literal translation, that there is no signs and types in it, but yet the Lord Jesus says he signified them to John or signified them to John through the angel of his ministry that came. So of course there are uh, significant signs and significant likenesses that we must figure out according to how the Holy Spirit shows up. What are these seven spirits? For if, there, if it's a literal translation, then there are seven spirits in four verses. Could that mean that there's the same seven spirits are mentioned, but they seem to differ in these four verses? These seven, seven fours are 28, and the one that's caught John up and gives him the vision is spirit number 29. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit is the spirit, spirit number 30, and the Father is the spirit, spirit number 31, and we can go on and on and on if that's how we want to, to look at this. But rather, this is signified or codified that we would search the scriptures and see what God is telling us tonight. So whenever we look at our first one, look what it says in Revelation chapter 1. excuse me, and verse 4. John to the seven churches. Note the number seven. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was, which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Notice verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Here the blood of Jesus is acknowledged in heaven. I note that, brothers and sisters. It's the blood of Jesus that marks even Christ out, for he shed his blood for us. It's the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus, that God will 
look for when we stand before him in that day. When I see the blood, he says, I will pass over you. He didn't say when I see who you are or what you've done or what you've become or your religious stance or whatever. He says, when I see the blood, God looks for the blood, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, that cleanseth us from all of our sin. Notice this, Christ is the center of heaven. God manifests himself in three ways here. Notice, first of all, again, in verse 4, it says, From him which is and which was, which is to come. Here we have the deity of heaven, the great eternal spirit, who was and is and is to come, our Father God. Then we have the seven spirits. We'll look at it in a moment. And then we have from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead. In other words, this is a resurrected man, a resurrected person, a resurrected body. He is the first begotten of the dead. Ah, someone says, Lazarus, wasn't he resurrected by Jesus before Jesus' resurrected resurrection? Ah, the widow of Nain's son, was he not resurrected from his coffin when Jesus touched the bear and he was risen from the dead? Ah, was a young maiden not raised by Jesus? Talitha Kumai, young damsel, I say, arise and walk. So how can Jesus be the first begotten of the dead? The idea here is that Jesus is the first begotten to die, to rise again, to die no more. To die no more. Our Savior is the man in the glory, the Son of God. He is resurrected and he is glorified. He is the center of heaven. Do you see the man that they crucified on Calvary's tree? Do you see the man that they whipped and mocked and scorned and beat Do you see the man who was nailed hand and foot with a crown of thorns upon his brow? Do you see the man who cried the seven words or cryings from the cross? Do you see the man whom they put the spear into his side that the blood and water would flow out? The man they had taken down again and laid in a tomb and sealed it. That man is resurrected from the dead. He is ascended into glory and he is a glorified son of God seated at the right hand of the Father. That is your savior tonight, brother. That is your savior tonight, sister. And this same man, this same Jesus will so come in like manner again. He is coming again. As he ascended into heaven, so he will come back again. Notice seven spirits of God. We have the son, the man in the glory. We have the great eternal spirit who is our father in heaven. Revelation chapter 4. If you'll look at it, please. Because Revelation 3 and 1, he speaks of the seven spirits of God and he mentions the seven stars. We'll go back to it again in a moment. Revelation chapter 4. There are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits. Now the spirits are seen like lamps of fire. Flames of fire before the throne of God. Revelation 5 and 6. Notice what it says in that. If we go to Revelation 5, verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. It said, had. Notice it had. Past tense. It had been slain, yet it's alive. How did he know it had been slain? John, how did you know this lamb had been slain? Simple. By the wounds that it bore. By the scars upon it. He says, I seen the lamb of God. 
I saw him risen from the dead. He is alive forevermore. That's what John is telling us tonight, that our Savior is alive and he's doing well. How do you know? I was talking to him upstairs. I was talking to him upstairs and he came and says, I'm alive and well. Notice this. He is the lamb that had been slain. Notice what it says about this lamb. The lamb has seven. Let me just get seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Notice seven horns and seven eyes. Here's something to notice, the full orb deity of Christ. Notice this, the full deity of who he is. He's not just a, he's just not a little bit of God. He is almighty God. Now notice this, first of all, seven horns. Seven horns, the horn means strength, power, omnipotence. He is the omnipotent God. Seven eyes, he is the omniscient, all-seeing, all-knowing Lamb of God. He is eternal as to his deity, yet human in all his humanity. And he is alive and risen and glorified, and he's now the man in the glory. Here he is, the one who has all knowledge and all power, for he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Notice this about our Christ about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Then it also says, on the seven, which are the seven spirits, the horns and the eyes are the spirits. Notice this. It's not seven horns, seven eyes, and then seven spirits. They're all one and the same. I don't know how this works. I don't know what he saw. John's trying to describe it under the anointing, but this is what he's seeing. He's seen an all-powerful, almighty lamb. He's seen one that had died. It has wounds, but it's risen. It has seven horns, meaning it has the fullness of power. It has the fullness of knowledge. And now he looks at it again, and he says, these are the seven spirits. You know what this shows me? He is the omnipresent Christ. The seven spirits, he is everywhere at once. Oh, the old Puritan one says about our Father, our God, he says, God, he says, his circumference, you draw a circumference and make a circle, he says, his circumference, he says, is nowhere. You can't draw a circle around him, he's eternal. His circumference is nowhere, he's eternal. But his center is everywhere. Our God is as powerful here tonight to speak to the heart and spiritually raise the dead and even to heal the body. As he is in heaven, so he is in earth. Oh, when we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, Father, let your kingdom rule come. Let your kingdom come. Send forth your Son that he may rule and reign from the throne of David over the house of Jacob and all the earth. Notice what this is saying here. Christ is omnipotent. Christ is omniscient. And Christ, he is omnipresent. He is almighty God. I, I, have, to, I, I have to sometimes laugh when I hear of those who deny the deity of Christ as though they cannot see it in the scripture. Even so-called 
Protestant clergy, and they cannot see it in the scripture, or, or, or if you want, not only Protestant clergy, but Islamic faith and, and, and others like, uh, like the Jewish faith, and they can't see the Christ of these scriptures. I see Christ and his deity all through the scriptures. I see him from Genesis to Revelation. I see him from chapter 1 to chapter 22 at the end of the book. I see him the whole way through it as the God of all creation. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and the earth. This is who our Lord Jesus is. God manifesting himself. He who is and was and is to come. He, he has taken on a, a body of flesh. He has died and rose again and ascended into heaven. And now we see the seven spirits representing the Lord in all of his glory. Notice this, what it says. It says in Revelation 1 and 4, as we said, it manifests the Father. Revelation 1 and 5 manifests the Lord Jesus, the Lamb that had been slain. But notice this. When, G- when John is on or is caught up in the spirit, no man is worthy to open the book. There, that, there's an angel there, and a strong angel can't open the book. And, and everybody's weeping. See, the sinners no crying in heaven. There was crying then. There was crying at this point, for they're all weeping and wailing. Who is worthy to open the book? All of heaven, all the strong angels, all the mighty angels, and there's none worthy. Not one. Not one in heaven and not one on earth. Not one was worthy. And suddenly, the angel speaks to John. And look what he says in verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, here he is. He says, John, don't be weeping. Look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at him. Don't be weeping, John. Behold him. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Listen, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. Notice seven seals. To loose the seven seals thereof. So here this angel says, don't be crying, John. You're crying all the rest of us. You're going to make us cry even more. Look, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. We'll look at it in a moment. He's prevailed. He alone in all of heaven. He alone in all of the earth. You see, when they look at Christ, they see the lion of God. They see him as a conquering hero. They see him as victorious over all sin and death and hell. And he is the liberator of all those that are bound and captive. And he says, oh, He says, look at the lion. But John turns to see a lion and he sees a lamb. He sees a lamb as it had been slain, but it's resurrected. Do you know when you want to see, I'm looking for the lion coming back. When Christ breaks the skies, I'm waiting for the lion of Judah to come. I'm waiting for the lion of Judah to roar. I'm waiting for him to come. But if you want to see him come and you want to be right with him and you're not saved, you must see him as the lamb. You have to see him as the lamb of God. You have to see him as the lamb who died in your place. You have to see him as the lamb who bore your sin and shame. You have to see him on the cross of Calvary bearing away our our sin and our shame and our sicknesses in his own body. We have to see him as our sin bearer. If he's not your sin bearer, You don't want to see him come as a lamb. John says, but when I looked at the lamb, I seen omnipotence. It's not marvelous. I seen omnipresence. And I, 
I seen the King of Glory. I seen him. Omniscient. Seven spirits of God. How many spirits are there? How many spirits in God are there? There's one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. For example, in the, in the Bible, the number seven, we've read about sevens and sevens. The number seven in Scripture means, stands for divine, perfect divine accomplishment. It speaks of completion, divine completion. For example, seven days when God was creating the earth, seven days from uh, him first speaking forth, into the tohu vapuhu earth and showing the creation in Genesis chapter 1. Seven days, the seventh was the completion. Six days he labored and the seventh he rested. Seven means completion. For example, there are seven golden candlesticks which are the seven churches in Asia in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And you read of the seven churches, one, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And these seven candlesticks are the seven churches. It also speaks in the book of Revelation of seven seals and seven trumpets, and they speak of God's com- complete accomplishments in the earth. When you go through the book of Revelation and you see how God has moved and historical facts throughout the earth and the, the blowing of the trumpets, do you know that there's going to be another trump coming soon? The seventh trump, do you know that? Do you know that there's going to be the last vial poured out upon the earth soon? The sixth one was poured out around about 1912, I reckon, whenever the, the, the First World War came in 1917 when General Allenby liberated Jerusalem from the Turkish Ottoman Empire and the Ottoman Great River Euphrates dried up of all those peoples. And oh, that sixth seal is poured out and the next one to be poured out will be great hail that falls from heaven coming of Christ, this earth will fall into disarray. Here, here we see the accomplishments of God and there are seven vials or seven of vials of the God's wrath. And of course, from Adam till now, we have about 6,000 years, six millennium, and the seventh millennium will come and Christ will come and set up his kingdom. And Christ will come and set up his kingdom. The seven candlesticks that are mentioned in Revelation, and Jesus is walking in the midst of them, were seven literal churches dotted around Asia Minor, but they were also, there are also seven prophetic church ages throughout time, from the first century church right through to the latter day church, the Laodicean church, which is the church that's lukewarm, that's neither hot nor cold, and makes Jesus sick. That's our church, not just Tom McClone. I'm talking about the church in general we live in today. In other words, they're not hot enough. They're not on fire for God. And it doesn't mean to say you're not cold. Oh, it's already cold and hot then. It doesn't mean that. It means you're not refreshingly cold. It means the church, the coming of Christ is going to... I remember one fellow once praying. He says, Lord, there's going to be many beamers at the beamer." There'll be plenty of red faces. Lukewarm Christians at the coming of Christ. Notice this. From Adam to then, there'll be the kingdom. 
when they walked around Jericho's walls, they walked around six days and the seventh they blew their trumpets and the walls came down. There again is another type of, of the, the coming of Christ when the walls of Jericho came down. The seven spirits of God, the seven churches that Christ walks through and the seven prophetical church ages. Notice this in uh, Exodus chapter 25, 20. 627 on into the book of Numbers, you'll read of the Lord telling Moses to, to make a, a menorah, a seven-branch place in you, the holy And that seven-branch candlestick stood at the, at the holy place in you, the holy of holies. And it was to shine the light. Now listen, it was to show the light before you entered on in. And if you don't see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, you can't enter into the holy place of God's heaven or God's presence. And these seven spirits, this, this is symbolic of these seven churches, and these seven spirits are before the throne of God. For example, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Nine, but they're one fruit. One fruit, but nine, if you can call it segments of it, for us to live our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, gives us the, the list of nine spiritual gifts given to the church. I'm not going to rhyme them all off because it'll take us forever if we keep doing this. But whenever you, you see these nine spiritual gifts are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Paul tells us there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and then you all. And then you all. Now, if you can work that out, then you work that out. All I know, there is one God who's in us and through us all. And God reveals himself and manifests his glory throughout the body of Christ. Now, notice this. John tells us in John 16 and 26, but when the Comforter has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Here again is a picture of what we see in heaven. He who, which is and was and is to come. We see the, the man Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, and we see the seven spirits before the throne. John sees the risen, ascended, glorified Son of God. He sees him sitting on his Father's throne in the fullness of deity, in the fullness of the Spirit. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, is the man in the glory. And so we have the powerful Christ, the powerful Christ in glory. In Revelation chapter 3, he is the man with the spirit without measure. Revelation 3 and verse 1, please. And unto the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt know, not know what hour I will come upon thee. 
The Lord Jesus is saying from heaven, I am the powerful Christ. I am God Almighty. He says, and I see what the church is like in Sardis. He says, and I see where you're slipping and where you're backsliding. And I can see where you're allowing things to creep into your life and the world to come in and the sin to come in and the life that you're living. He says, now listen, Christian, because this is to the church. Now listen, Christian, he says, repent. Oh dear, Christians don't like that anymore. The unsaved don't like it, neither do Christians. He says, repent. In other words, he says, change your mind and do what you used to do. Be on fire for me. Or I will come on thee in the day that I know not, and in an hour that I, I will come upon thee that thou shalt not know. No, notice this. The powerful Christ. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, let's read it. Let's read from verse 2. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he sat, he that sat was to look upon. Now I notice this, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there's a rainbow round about the throne, in his inside like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were twenty, four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Notice what we see here for the Lord Jesus, the glorified Christ. Notice what we see. Two stones, Sardis, Jasper. Jasper and then Sardis. Do you know the Jasper and the Sardis stone? There are the first and second stones, first and last, pardon me, stones that are on the breastplate of the high priest of Israel. The high priest Israel had a breastplate of judgment to war, and he wore them before uh, Almighty God in the Holy of Holies. And when he went in, he went in with the blood to sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. And there upon the breastplate of, of judgment on his breast, he had the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 stones. And the first stone and the last stone were these two stones, the jasper and the sardine stone. The sardis stone is red in color, and it comes from a, the Hebrew word for it is Odom. And it actually is very akin to the word Adam, meaning red, one who shows blood on his face. It means red, red earth and red ground to show ability to show blood. And here he shows, he's here to represent man. Here he is as a man of man. Here he is human yet divine. Here he is the son of God, yet he is the son of man. Here he says, I'm standing in the presence of God. And here is the, the sardis and the jasper. The jasper was, or the onyx stone, varies in color, I'm told. People can't really agree. They say there's a few different colors of it. One of the colors is, uh, is an amber golden color. And another one is a light blue color. And that, remember, gold and amber represents deity. Represents deity. So here's one representing humanity. Here's one representing deity. And here he is standing before his father. In other words, here he is standing in the glory of God, in the place of power and anointing. And he's standing there like the great high priest went into the Holy of Holies whenever he went to make uh, uh, that, that blood sacrifice for, uh, the, for the children of Israel. But notice this. I'm also told that the jasper can be like a diamond or a white diamond color. 
So we also have the blue skies, the the blue from which Christ will return. This God-man coming back again. And the white speaks of his holiness. And here we have the Holy One of Israel. Here we have the Holy One of God, the Holy Son of God, the sinless, spotless, impeccable Lamb who has been slain, now risen from the dead, standing in the glory, representing us. Oh, what a Savior. What a God we serve, brothers and sisters. Jesus is glorified. He's our great high priest. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the the beginning and the ending. It's the first and the last stone. He is the the, the in-between. He is our all and all, and he's our everything. The chiefest among any 10,000 of our souls. He is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley fair. So then we have, as I said, the prevailing Christ. And when we're looking at the prevailing Christ, we see the power of Christ in chapter 4 and verse 5 and the prevailing Christ in chapter 5. Out of the throne, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 5, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Now, you know what God's showing John? God is showing John that this same one is Israel's God. And how is he doing that? Because in Exodus chapter 19, there's the marriage of Israel and Yahweh, Jehovah. And Moses is the officiator of the marriage and he goes up and he takes the tablets of the law and comes down and he, and he sees them and they've risen up to play. You know the story and he breaks the tablets and he goes back again later and he brings down more. But in Exodus 19, he says, will you follow Yahweh as your God and will you adhere to his laws? And they said, we will follow and I'm paraphrasing. And he, he, he officiates the marriage between Jehovah and Yahweh in Exodus 19. But when Moses is up the mountain, there's thunders and there's lightnings and there's earthquakes. And Israel aren't allowed to come round the foot of the mountain to touch it or else they'll die. And these thunders and lightnings and earthquakes are going on. But when Moses is up into the glory of the Lord, he's not hearing thunders and earthquakes and lightnings. He's not saying this. He's hearing the voice of God. He's hearing God's voice. The Israelites are looking with fear. That's why the book of Hebrews says uh, uh, that we're not now coming to this new covenant where it's unapproachable that we're come to a holy mountain. He says, you're coming to Christ. This one who's approachable. This one who's personal. This one who's powerful. Now notice this. The thunders and lightnings is the Lord showing John, I am the God who talked with Moses. The setting the lamp, the, these, were, these, burnt, these voices, oh, there were seven lamps of burning fire before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now take note of this. The seven fires, first of all, will have horns and eyes, but yet spirits. And now we have fire, but spirits. Remember in the day of Pentecost, there's been 120 in the upper room. They all with one place with one accord. It came from heaven a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. Remember, and it filled the house, and the Holy Ghost came and sat on them, on their heads, like cloven tongues like as of fire. What are we saying here? We're saying that the seven spirits of God are not seven spirits, but one spirit manifesting God himself manifesting himself. The Holy Spirit of God. Notice this. Revelation 5 and 5. 
a lion of the tribe of Judah prevailed. The word prevailed is the word nikau. You know what that is? That's where you get the word Nike. You know, you get your training shoes and all, but the wee tick on it, the Nike tick. Uh, that is the word for victory. That's the, Nike is the Greek word for victory. And so he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah prevailed. He's got the victory. I heard an old, old story how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. What's the rest? Come on, keep singing. Oh, you're all you're cards, aren't you? Let's sing the chorus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed, brothers and sisters. Uh, he is our savior and our king and our God. We have something to shout about. We have something to get excited about. We have something to glory in, not in ourselves, but in the cross of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, he is a wonderful savior. Where's he picked you from? Where's he brought you? Where's he lifted you out of? Oh, I could tell you all night where he lifted me from. Well, if you were there where I was, you'd worship him too. Yes, here we have the victorious, prevailing Christ. He is the overcomer. The word here, prevailed, is the overcomer. He says, I have overcome the world. He's overcome it for you. He is also the conqueror, it means. He is our conqueror. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hallelujah. Oh, sure. You should be one to swing from the light and get up and dance, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. Look, I'm a Pentecostal and I'm unashamed. Praise the Lord. He is the prevailing Christ. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing Christ. Notice chapter 5 and verse 6 also. He sees a lamb, stood a lamb that had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. This Holy Spirit which has come at the ascension of Christ. He is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He is a baptizing Christ. Seven spirits of God is the manifestation of God's spirit in his perfection. This is visible in his description, powerful in his anointing. And the Lord Jesus, when he walked the scene of time, had every attribute of it. Isn't he lovely? And yet, and yet he veiled it in flesh. Oh, blessed be his name. I just see him and I just love him even more. I just see him and I keep loving him more and more and more. When I think about him, when I ponder the things of Christ, when he just gives me a slither in the slightest of portions, it's enough to take me to eternity. Hallelujah. Oh, what a Christ. What a Savior. What a God. Oh, Lamb of God, we worship you. 
Let me run through these verses quickly to show you the seven spirits of God and their operation. Remember, seven spirits is not seven spirits, but one spirit in manifestation. First of all, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11, we see these seven spirits mentioned. Chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow forth from his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit, notice, of wisdom and understanding, Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven. Now that's prophesied. The rod, the stem of Jesse, the the branch that comes, the root is the Lord Jesus Christ, the man, the son of the living God, Messiah himself. Notice this, seven spirits. First of all, the spirit of the Lord rests upon him. We know what happened at his baptism in water with John. But Luke 4 and 18 says that the Lord Jesus, after his temptation in the wilderness from the devil, comes in the power of the spirit into the synagogue, takes the scroll, and we're told he looks up Isaiah the prophet, and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This man comes from the wilderness. Emaciated in his body. Think about it. Emaciated in his body. Hasn't had for 40 days. Dehydrated. Hasn't drank for 40 days. How is he not dead? Because he is eternal life force that keeps him alive. You see, when he died on the cross, the Romans didn't kill him. He gave his life up. He gave himself for me. Notice this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closes up the scroll and he gives it to the attendant. Listen, see if you were to go into Isaiah's prophecy or he doesn't stop there in Isaiah's prophecy. When he says, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, Isaiah goes on to say, on the day of vengeance of our great God. Why did he stop there? Because we're living still in grace. (laughs) We're living in grace, but the day of vengeance of the great God is coming. We must be saved. We must be born again. We must know him as Savior. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The second Spirit of God upon him is the Spirit of wisdom. Luke 2 and verse 40. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. He grew as a man like you and I. He's a human Thirdly, the spirit of understanding, Luke 2 and 47. As a child of 12 years of age in the temple, it says, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answer. Even the doctors of theology had a wee lot of 12-year-old, and they're astonished at him. You know why? The spirit before the throne was upon him. The spirit of God was upon him. The spirit of counsel, number four, Luke 7, 29 and 30. And all the people that heard him, and the publicans justified God. And being baptized with the baptism of John. Listen, verse 30. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Jesus says, you're a brood of vipers. You're off your father, the devil. And they rejected him. 
The counsel of God was on Christ and he was rejected. Listen, Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. That's who Christ is. That's who he is. Notice this. Fifthly, the spirit of might, Luke 3 and 16. Uh, John the Baptist says of Jesus, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The spirit of might. Isaiah 9 and 6. We've already quoted, he is the mighty God. And he says in Revelation 1 and 8, I am the Almighty. Sixthly, the spirit of knowledge, John 21 and 17, Peter said to the risen Savior, when asked as he, if he loved Jesus, he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. The spirit of knowledge was on him. Again, to his disciples in John 16 and 30, it says, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee, by this we know that thou camest forth from God. He says, you have the spirit of knowledge on you. These are the gifts of the Holy Ghost, brothers and sisters, for the church. The spirit of fear of the Lord, Hebrews 5 and 7. Listen to what it says. Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of the Lord Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was, a naughty, and was heard and that he feared Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus, the fear of the Lord. And the word there for fear, I'll look at it in a moment. Let me just clarify something. He prayed that he would be saved from death. Now you listen, people say, see, Jesus didn't come to die. See, Jesus didn't want to die. See, Jesus prayed that he wouldn't die. Father, will you not take this cup from me? He didn't want to die. Now that's not true. He did pray those things, but that's not right. He came to die for me. For you. The word from death here, there's two words. One word, ach, and the other one, apple. And apple means from the edge off. Ach means from, from within to out. In other words, if I said, I'm inviting you to church tonight, will you come to church? And he says, yes, sure, I will. And, and we're here and we're praising the Lord and we're preaching the word. And you come to those doors and you look in and turn in your heel and go back out again. That's from the edge off. You came, but it's from the edge off. And many are saying Jesus wanted to get to the edge of death to be some kind of martyr. Father, now save me. No, it means that he went right into death. And the prayer was this. I know you will raise me again on the third day. That's what he was praying. Don't let anyone pull the wood over your eyes with these sort of things. I get excited about Jesus. I'm closing. Those at the foot of the cross must have heard this prayer, the seven cries, Gethsemane, uh, the olive branch there, and God's, God's olive press. That's what Gethsemane means, olive press. He crushed his olive Christ, and he bled, as it were, uh, uh, sweat like great drops of blood. And do you know what they used to do uh, in the days of our Lord? The Jews used to get a, an olive branch, an offering of peace, and wrap it with wool or linen. And they used to go before the Lord wrapped up like this. And look, where does wool come from? A lamb. 
here is the lamb. And he's in the middle with the peace offering of God. He's saying, I'm going to die as their peace offering. I'm going to die as their reconciliation. I'm going to die as their, their recompense, Lord. I am going to pay Karen Davidson debt. I am your lamb. He feared the Lord. It's not the word phobos, which we usually read for fear, which means, no, frightened and terrified. We, we use it for phobia today. We always hear, you know, something's a, there's a phobia for everything today. But I think there's a phobia about phobias sometimes. There's that many phobias. It's not the word phobia. It's the word eulibia. And it means reverence and respect, circumspect character. And while in prayer, takes into account all things, not taking in his own desire, but the will of his fathers. That's what that means. Is it any wonder he's raised up the glory? Is it any wonder he says, this is my beloved? <laughs> That's who he is. And men say, well, if I'm not bad, I'll, God will let me into his kingdom. I'll get into heaven. What men and women think, they live how they like and God's okay with it. No, brothers and sisters, he's not. In our four verses, we see the glorified Christ. In John 13, verse 31, he says, Therefore, when he was come out, and when it was gone out, it says, Judas, that is, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Listen, see the glorification here? He's not talking about heaven, he's talking about the cross. The glory of the cross. And the cross. And the cross. Be my glory ever. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Five times glory is mentioned. And now Christ is raised to glory. Money. Payne Ferguson wrote the hymn, Comfort of all my earthly way. Jesus, I'll meet thee some sweet day. Center of glory, thee I'll see. He's the wonderful man of Calvary. <laughs> and he is. And he is. <laughs>